Thank you, worship leaders. I want to dismiss our children, the little ones up through grade four. There's some wonderful adults who are ready to receive you and teach you. I admit I love the picture that is coming onto the screen. It's one that captivates me. I wonder about you. I wonder what the footprints mean to you. Our theme has been building legacy. We all are with every day of our lives. So maybe as you look at the footprints, they remind you of this past week that you lived. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday has just started. (laughs) Remember the events of this week in your life? Uh, Maybe you could let them represent a week. Four weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, this week. Remember the events of the last month or so? Maybe you could let the footprints represent months of time, September, October, November, December, and now January has started. There's been a lot that's gone on in your lives in the last four and a half months. What if they represented years, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013? Can you remember all that's transpired in your lives in the last four and a half years? What if they were decades, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s? What's gone on in your life in the last 40 years? How about one more? What if they were generations? Grandparents, parents, your generation, your children, your grandchildren. And would you agree that the footprints, more than anything else, represent choices? Because our lives are shaped by our choices. Do you agree with that? Watch this. It only lasts a minute, but it's powerful. what it said every choice taken every decision made has brought you to this place and who you are that's pretty powerful would you agree step into a moment in history with me a very significant moment it's where the verse that I'm inviting you to join me to memorize this year is birthed in Deuteronomy chapter 30 It tells us there in chapter 30 that Moses is standing in front of a huge throng of people. He's an old man now, 120 years old. And the throng of people 
are the people that he has been leading for more than 40 years. The old generation has all died off, and now it's their children, the young generation. And they're anxious to leave the desert behind and get into the new land. He says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse, oh, let's see, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, keep his commands and his decrees, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away, and you're not obedient, and you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, then I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed." This day, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now say it with me. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Do you see the power of it, my friends? Are you beginning to live it, those three powerful words, now choose life every time you face a decision? So what happened next? Well, chapter 31, verse 1, Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all the people of Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. Moses is saying goodbye. Well, at 120 years old, yeah, find a rocking chair, Moses. It's amazing. You can stand at 120. But that wasn't the problem. In fact, a couple of pages later in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, it tells us that when he climbed up Mount Nebo to die, it tells us there in chapter 34, verse 7, he was 120 years old, yet his eyes were not weak and his strength was not gone. So why is he needing to say to the people, I'm not able to lead you? Because the next part of that verse in chapter 31 says, The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan, Moses. I wonder if you remember what the problem was. He had accomplished the mission that had started at that burning bush on that hillside when God said to him, Moses, come with me. We're going back to Egypt, and we're going to rescue out those million of my people who have been suffering in slavery for generations. And they did. And they followed Moses into the desert. And it wasn't long, and they were thirsty. And God said to Moses, I hear their thirst. Go ahead, and there's a big rock there. Stand by the rock and strike the rock, and water will come out of the rock for all the people. And he did it. Sometime later, in a different place, They were thirsty again. And God says, I hear their thirst. There's another rock. Take the leaders and go and speak to the rock, and water will pour out. But Moses, at that time, was pretty emotionally wrapped up in what was going on, and the people's grumbling had gotten to him. And he was ready to strangle a few folks. And so he goes out to that rock, and he takes his staff, and he says, You rebels! And he strikes the rock in anger. Water poured out for the people. But here's God's assessment 
of why Moses isn't going into the land. Chapter 34, do you see it there again? Pardon me, chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 50. Moses, climb on up Mount Nebo, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I'm going to give the Israelites. And there on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die. You'll be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor. Verse 51, this is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. He's not going in because he failed as a leader in that moment. He's going to see the land. He's been faithful in leading the people. He's known God unlike any human being ever has, may I suggest. But if you're a leader in this room, if you employ people, if you're responsible to manage people, if you lead people in your own family or elsewhere, if you're a leader in this church, please pay very close attention to what happened in Moses' life. With leadership comes responsibility. Eyes are watching ears are listening. We are held to a higher standard. Do you agree with that, friends? And when we stumble and we fail, those of us who are in any leadership capacity, if we have claimed that God is our God, that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that we are following Him, we have now defamed the God that we represent and that we follow. Moses, you can't go in you broke faith with me. You defamed me in front of the people that you were leading. But back there in, verse, in chapter 31, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. Verse 3, the Lord your God himself will cross ahead of you. <laughs> Amen. You're not being abandoned by God. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, people. Do not be afraid or terrified by them. Who's them? That's the people in the new land that they're going to go to conquer. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I celebrate that what Moses is saying there is, even though I'm an old man, I'm not going in with you. I'm going to relinquish the mantle of leadership and pass it to another God is still God, still sovereign. He is omniscient. He knows everything, and He's going with you. Amen. 2014 has just begun. So I have a question. Do you believe, honestly now, that God can see at this moment everything that's going to happen in your life during the year 2014? Is there anything that at this moment that God is unaware of or doesn't understand, or is confused by, as he looks at your 2014. Anything? No. Will anything catch him by surprise? No. Is he sovereign over all? Yes. Moses is saying, may I paraphrase? It's been a good ride. We've experienced unbelievable things with God, but I'm not going in, but young Joshua is, but God is still God. He's going with you. In fact, he's gone ahead of you, and he's looking forward. And he can see it all. You can trust him. The mission has not changed. Moses is saying, my part of the mission has been complete. I've led you this far. But the mission that God is trying to accomplish of bringing you from slavery into the new land that he promised 500 years ago is not yet complete. Can you grasp that? 
that the story is not yet fully written. I wonder if you recognize that it appears to me we're living at a time in history, particularly here in America, where more and more we are being taught the whole world revolves around me, each of us. It's all about us. Let's say that together. It's all about us. It's not true, but that's what the world tells us. And God says, no, no, it's all about me. It's my story that began before there was anything except me. And I brought it into existence, the universe, this planet, a human race made in my image. In fact, you exist, he says to you and to me, because I thought it'd be a good idea to conceive you in your mother's womb, and I did it. And I thought it'd be a good idea to bring you all the way to full term, and I birthed you. And I thought it'd be a good idea to give you life and breath to this very moment. You exist, you're alive, and you're breathing, because I thought it was a good idea. Amen? Can you grasp that? And you exist because I would like, listen now, God says, I would like to write you into my story. I would like to paint you into my picture. Your life and mine, my dear friends, has value because we are written into God's larger story. Moses is saying to the people, you and I have been a part of the story for a little while. You're going to keep going in the story. My life's coming to an end, but God continues to write his story, and we are privileged to be a part of it. Amen. He is a wonderful, great God. And so Moses says to Joshua there, do you see it in verse 7? Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. You have the privilege. You must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers years ago to give to them. You're going to have the privilege to divide it up among them as their inheritance. Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you. He'll be with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I can hear him saying it's an overwhelming task to lead a million grumbling people. <laughs> but God will be with you. May I tell you, friends, as I've been ruminating and praying over this this week, I, I was asking myself the question, God, so, so are you saying that for us as a human race, for, for us as people that you've called to come to know you, there is a constant mission that you allow us to be a part of during our lifetime? Very often I'm asked the question, maybe you are too. Somebody says, Pastor Doug, I sure wish I knew God's will for my life. I'd sure like to stop just floating through it and get on with it. May I give you four powerful verses, I put them there for you in your notes, that I think say to all of us in this room, here's the larger mission. The first, you re remember, God spoke to a prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, and he says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before. Would you agree with me that that statement is equally applicable to every man, woman, teenager, and child that is alive and breathing in our world today? Whether they are religious or not, whether they've acknowledged the existence of God or not, God is saying, I've made you and I'm calling you to act justly. And I'd like to show you what that is. 
I'm calling you to love mercy. I'm calling you to walk humbly before your God. Now, you can do that best, of course, if you know me, but I'm still calling you to it. A fundamental mission that every one of us gets to live. So how's that going? Years later, when Jesus, I think he was probably standing, at least for a while, on a big hillside that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. He was talking to the people. Some call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he said to the people, most of them Jewish people in front of him, you are the salt of the earth. The people to whom the word of God, the law of God had been given. The people to whom God had spoken at the mountain, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? Now, talk to me for a minute. We like to do that here at Calvary. What do you suppose God was saying through, may I say, Jesus in that moment, you're the salt of the earth. What were the people, people supposed to understand? What does salt do? Seasons. You're the season of our world. Yes. What else? Preserves. Retards decay. Yes. Make a difference in this world. And what happens when you're not salty anymore? You're not making a difference. There's no distinguishable difference between you and anybody else. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. What does the light do? Shines, it pushes back the darkness, it penetrates the darkness. Yes. Would you agree that that is our mission, my friends, that God's called us to recognize that as he draws us into relationship with him, we truly become salt and light in our world. A little while later, a religious man approached Jesus and said, of all the laws and the commandments, what's the most important one? Matthew 22, remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind and all your strength and soul. That's the first and most important commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. Would you agree that that's the mission, that you and I should be living that? Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors like ourselves? Would you agree? Then do you remember that as the Apostle Paul was writing, it was our theme verse for last year. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is, and the new has come. God is the one who's done all of that in you, and therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Mission. Four powerful statements, may I suggest, that call you and I to look closely at ourselves, to ask ourselves the question, am I living on mission with God in the way that he designed me as a human being and one that he's drawn into relationship with him, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, to live as your mission. Mo Moses is saying to Joshua, the mission isn't complete yet. It's over for me. But with God it continues, and now, Joshua, it's in your hands. So, how, how did Moses go about this transition? And what can we learn in it? I wonder if you would agree that in 2014, likely every person in this room will face a major life change of some kind. Just about every family in this room, you'll probably have a graduate, a senior high graduate graduating out of high school and stepping into that post-high school, and many of them would like to go back, but there's no going back after graduation. College graduates stepping out into the adult world. There will be single people getting married. There will be married people having babies, and the wonderful quiet of your home is lost, at least for the next many years. 
There will be people changing jobs. There will be people moving from employment to retirement or unemployment. There will be people losing loved ones to death. There will be some of us who ourselves will step into eternity. Moses had reached one of those points in his life where a major life change was happening. He was retiring. He was stepping out of the role that he'd had for so long. And I think I have found a few keys here that can help us, friends, so that if you or your family is facing or will face, even unexpectedly, a major life change in 2014, here's four or five things that could help you. Look, verse 9 of chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant. The two words there, this law, in that particular verse, it doesn't mean the Ten Commandments. It means the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, all of it. Moses wrote it all and wrapped it up in big scrolls and gave it to the priests and said to them, now keep it close to the ark. Why? It was God's story. It was a story of who God is and how much he loved his people, and it was the story of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Have you ever sat down to start writing your story? Really? Each of us in this room has a unique story. Unique. Nobody else on the planet, even if you have a twin, doesn't have your story. And when you approach and make one of those major changes in your life, the story changes. Am I right? May I suggest, if you have a significant change approaching, write your story, because it's going to be different after you make the change. And may I suggest that when you come to the end of your life, of all the things that you leave to your family and friends, whatever it is, that which will probably be one of the most valued, treasured possessions is if you have written your story in your own hand. I wonder if any of you have a written, handwritten story from your parents or your grandparents, and you treasure it because it's part of your legacy. It's your heritage. I see a second thing here in verse 11. And when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, verse 10 tells us it's happening annually, and there are several festivals that gather the people of Israel together. At the place that he will choose, read this law before them in their hearing. As you approach a, a transition point, a major transition point, have you discovered that this book can bring you tremendous peace in the time of change? Have you discovered that? Have you found that God can speak to you through his word, guiding you through the tunnel of transition? Have you found that God's word, the more that it fills your mind and your heart, in fact, the more that it becomes your friend, carries you, accompanies you through those times of change, especially if they're major life change? Have you found that reading it out loud impacts you, but impacts your family and your friends? There's great power here, especially in times of change. I, I see another one. Look at verse 12. Assemble the people men, women, children, even the aliens living in your town, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God. Sacred assemblies, that's what this is right here. When we gather together to worship, we gather together to unite our hearts and our minds together to praise God for who He is and for all that He's doing in us 
We gather together to pray. We gather together to open his word and to listen to what he wants to say into our lives. It's a sacred assembly. Have you noticed that as you approach a major turning point in your life, a significant transition, if you will immerse yourself in worship gatherings like this regularly, it will bolster you. It will strengthen you. It will give you great guidance as you approach the, approach the turning point. But if you isolate yourself, if you stay away from these kinds, you will find yourself walking to the corner and making the turn of transition, feeling all alone. Am I right? It's the power of God's design of sacred assemblies. I see another one. Look in the next verse, verse 13. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Teach the children. Have you discovered that one of the times when you and I learn some of the most powerful lessons in life is when we're making major changes in our lives? Would you agree with that? And as we learn those lessons, have you found that our children and our families and our friends are anxious to learn from us what we have learned? I wonder if you grew up in a family that if dad was going to make a job change, he gathered his family around and he explained why. And I hope perhaps you grew up in a family where you heard, I'm making this job change because God is leading me in this. It's not because there's more money to be made. If your family was going to move, did your parents gather you around and say, we're moving as a family because God is leading us? Or did mom and dad just say, pack up, we're going? It's in times of great change that we learn important life lessons. And we have a gigantic obligation, I believe, my friends, as we build our legacy to make sure that our children, the generations that follow us, understand why. Why the change is being made and what the lessons are that God is teaching us there. And then I find one more, chapter 32, look at verse 7. I love this one. Remember the days of old... Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, he'll, he'll tell you. Your elders will explain it to you. Have you learned, and this is one of the great privileges of being a part of Calvary Community Church, we have a whole bunch of folks in this church that are in their 80s and their 90s. We actually have a person who is 102 years old, still alive with us in this church. Amen. And have you learned, my friends, that as you approach a major change, Any of the ones that I've mentioned in life, there's a whole lot of other people who've already walked through that change. And have you considered approaching some of these dear, wonderful seniors and sitting down with them and saying, would you please tell me the story? What did you learn as you went from being a single adult to being a married adult? What did you learn as as you had your first children? What did you learn as you moved toward retirement? Ask the generations that have gone before us. They've learned the lessons that can help us. Wow, four powerful verses that say this should be the mission of every living, breathing person. Five powerful lessons to learn as we approach the change point. So let's just take a minute and let that simmer. Just reflect on that for a minute. In fact, I'll help you with that. Let's watch that video clip one more time. That'll help you simmer over this. Candy?
powerful, isn't it? So the next verse, verse 14 says, The Lord said to Moses, Now, Moses, the day of your death is near. There are several times in the Bible that we have the story of God letting a person know it's coming soon. Get your house in order. Remember in Isaiah 38, when Isaiah went to tell King Hezekiah that? Remember when Paul writes in, he's writing to the Philippians, you've been reading that at Pastor Chuck's request. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which would be so much better. But it's necessary for you that I remain. Or when Paul was writing to Timothy, the day of my departure has come. I've run a good race. I've fought a good fight. Did you see what I wrote for you on the front of the worship folder? Just four little lines. Maybe five. Each day, each of us is writing our story. We live every day with one absolute certainty. Someday will be our last day on earth. Does the story end then? Wisdom says plan for the inevitable. Plan for the inevitable. Are you? Here's how they did. God says, Moses, because my mission is not yet accomplished with my people, call Joshua. Present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. Why Joshua? Oh, Joshua and Moses had been on a great journey together for many years, and I've given you seven specific things in your notes that you might want to take a look at, specific events in Joshua's life that I believe helped prepare him for this moment. So let me ask you a question. Think back over the footprints of your life. This last year, the last 10 years, can you think of some major events in your lifetime that have prepared you for right now? for where you are in your journey of life. Do you believe that God has been working since the time you were born to prepare you for 2014 and what He knows is coming your way? Don't disregard your journey, your story. Learn well what God's been doing in your life. The Lord appeared at the tent of meeting, verse 15. The cloud stood over the entrance to the tent, and the Lord said to Moses, you're going to rest with your fathers. That's one of those wonderful Old Testament phrases that assures us that even then God was talking about life after death. And these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they're entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. May I be honest with you and tell you that as I read that this week and pondered over that, ooh, that struck me deeply. I had to pray, God, as you look into my 2014, 2015, however much more time you give me in life, could that apply to me? Will I make the choices to turn away from you, God? Will circumstances occur in my life that will be so disappointing to you because I've forsaken you? As God looks in the future of your life, I believe he asks you and me, let's look together into the future. I already see it, God says. And let me lead you there. But be very careful, because so easily any of us can get drawn off the path, can't we? Just like they did. 
Can you imagine Moses and Joshua saying, oh God, I can't imagine it would never happen. But it did. A last couple of verses I want you to see. Chapter 32. Verse 45, 46. Chapter 32, as you see, is a song, most of it, that God gave to Moses and Joshua and they gave to the people. It's a self-incriminating song. It's a song they wanted the people to sing for years to come that would remind them of how great God is and where they once were in their relationship with Him. In verse 45, when Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, I think these may have been the last words that he spoke that were recorded. He said to them, take heart, pardon me, take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They're not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land. So what are the words that you're holding tightly to that are charting the course of your life, that are building the foundation of your life? Because none of us knows how long that life will last. In closing, I want to show you something. It's in your worship folder. It's a little green card that looks like this. I wanted you to be able to leave this worship service today with something that would be jarring to you and hopefully helpful to you as you plan for the inevitable. Do you see what I wrote on it? Now choose life. What if I'm suddenly incapacitated? What if you had a brain aneurysm where you're sitting right now and you lost your ability to speak, your ability to write, you couldn't communicate? What if when you drive out of here, you're, you're alone in your car and you have an automobile accident and the paramedics come and you can't talk, will they be able to figure out who you are? So I have a series of questions that I urge you, my friends, to pray through. Will the people who come to help me in that time of incapacitation, will they know where to find all your important documents? Will they know how to access anything of yours that needs a password? Will they know what your medical care desires are? Will they know what your plans are for your end-of-life care? You see the very bottom bullet? What is your spiritual story? Is it written someplace? And will it comfort your family and your loved ones by making your relationship with Jesus Christ very clear to them? And if, if you need help in going even deeper, we, we have a packet that we made for you. It's out at the Welcome Center that helps you have a place to, to gather all of this information and put it in one place. Pastor Chuck and I both, and Pastor Mel and others, we've walked the path of gathering with the family when tragedy strikes, and often the family doesn't know the answers to those questions. And that is a horrible, terrible thing. So I'm urging you, plan for the inevitable let's make every day of the rest of our lives count as we build legacies for God's glory as we make choices that shape the kinds of legacies that you and those you pass your legacy to will be proud of now let's talk to Jesus about this because it's serious stuff God, today you've reminded us, as you spoke through Moses, that you are a sovereign, omniscient God. You know everything about each of our futures. Everything. And you're calling us to trust you. You've called us today to see that you want us to be living our lives with purpose, and you've given us 
many, many, many portions of your word that tell us the purpose. I've given just four verses. You've called us to recognize that for every single one of us, there will be times of major transition in our lives. But we don't have to approach those corners of change blindly. You've helped us to understand this morning there are many things that we can do to prepare for those things so that when we come to the moment of change, you're right there with us and we can follow you easily through that change. God, there's folks sitting in this room right now who are going to be leaving this week heading south. They say they'll be back in a few weeks, but only you know if they really will be. Our dear friend Coralie Rekab, oh God, this is her last Sunday with us. Her husband Eddie is already in Florida waiting for her to come. She loves this church, God. Thank you for blessing us with her. God, she led our Apples of Gold ministry in a wonderful way. Thank you for that. She's been a part of our worship ministries for many, many, many years. Thank you for that. She's given leadership to several of our food service teams. Thank you for that. We will miss her greatly, God. We entrust her to you, believing that you see her future and Eddie's so clearly, and she can trust you as she goes from us. Now, God, as we close our time of worship today with this powerful song, God, would you help us to understand? Would you help us to make the now choose life choices that enable us, God, to walk the journey hand in hand in lockstep with you, especially through the major changes in our lives? Oh, God, as busy as you are keeping track of the whole universe, and, and, and seven billion people and all that's going on in our world that you'd actually care about every one of us you'd care about our senior hires as they approach graduation and our collegians as they approach graduation you care about single adults who are pl planning to be married you care about pregnant dear women who are ready to give birth soon you care about folks who are going to be changing jobs and folks who are going to be retiring you care about folks we're going to be entering into difficult health journeys. You care deeply about folks who are going to be losing loved ones. You care about all of us as we approach that moment where our earthly journey will in fact come to an end. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you are reaching to us in this moment and inviting us to draw near to you, to trust you, to be our Savior and our Lord and our guide and our King. And that's why we worship you now. In Jesus' name.